Welcome to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, a CME podcast series where each week we translate today's late-breaking clinical research and news into tomorrow's practice. I'm Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School and editor-in-chief of the 5-Minute Clinical Consult series. Be sure to visit primed.com podcast after the discussion for more information about today's article and to claim CME CE credit. You are seeing Michael, a 61-year-old, in your practice for a blood pressure check, and you remarks that he's feeling well. He's proud that he uh, finally was able to quit smoking a few months ago. He had smoked since he was 17 years old. He has no respiratory symptoms, but asks if he's still at risk for lung cancer now that he has finally quit smoking. Or that he is still at risk, you consider ordering a low-dose lung CAT scan, but remain skeptical about its benefits. Hi, this is Frank Domino, professor in the Department of Family Medicine and Community Health at the University of Massachusetts Medical School, and joining me is Robert Baldor, professor and founding chair of the Department of Family Medicine at UMass Medical School, Bay State in Springfield, Mass. Hello, Bob. Good morning, Frank. Glad to be chatting with you again today. Yes. So lung cancer screening is certainly something I, I struggle with. Um, when I do the pros and cons with patients, I'm sort of not always terribly helpful. Can, um, can you tell me what's the latest on the, uh, from the U.S. Burn of Services Task Force on lung cancer screening? Yeah, that's why I wanted to bring this forward because uh, the, the task force uh, just updated their – well, they just – uh, put out the draft statement and updated their 2013 recommendations. These will probably be going into effect by the end of the year. But just to review quickly, lung cancer is the second most common cancer in the leading cause of cancer death in the United States. And so uh, this year estimated uh, 229,000 people will be diagnosed with lung cancer, and half of those individuals, more than half of them, will uh, die uh, from that from the disease. So uh, the trouble is, is that uh, something like 80% of the patients who we present with lung cancer, it's already spread, it's already metastatic. And um, the only about 17% with localized disease. If you have localized disease, your five-year survival is 50%. If you have METS, your five-year survival is 6%. So this is a nasty disease. And the question is, is can we do something uh, to screen for this and, uh, and pick this up? In 2013, the task force recommended annual screening with low-dose CT scan in adults aged 55 to 80 who had a 30-pack year smoking history, who are currently smoking, or if they'd quit within the past 15 years. This update, though, expands that group considerably. They're saying we start at the age of 50, and we target people who have had a pack year smoking history of 20. Um, not uh, not a 30-pack year history. So that's a considerable uh, change in what they've done. Wow. So this this actually expands the group to be screened. That, that even further makes me uh, hesitant. Um, what's the data based on that, that justifies this expansion? Yes, you know, I was a little bit surprised too. You know, the AFP never endorsed those 2013 recommendations, uh, feeling that the evidence was insufficient uh, really to run, recommend for or against screening. And uh, to update this uh, recommendation, the task force actually commissioned a, a systematic review uh, to really look at all of the benefits and harms of, uh, of, of screening, and they wanted to know whether uh, 
that was actually uh, you do the screening. Was there uh, did it actually increase mortality or not? Which is really nice to uh, nice to see with that. But they also commissioned a collaborative model analysis uh, from the Cancer Intervention and Surveillance uh, Modeling Network, provide information on a variety of these variables to try and determine what's the best age and pack your history and so on. The studies that they used that they uh, relied upon. Uh, one was called the uh, the uh, NLST study. This was the um, uh, pub the National Lung Screening uh, Trials, published in the New England Journal of Medicine, randomized control trial of over 53,000 participants. And the other one was the Nelson trial. That stands for the National Lung Screening Trial. This also uh, was uh, published in in the Lancet. This was a, a trial of uh, 16, almost 16,000 uh, participants. So they really had good data that they were looking at. It uh, wasn't just uh, cohort style. Now, as they did this, their uh, modeling studies, again, which was done by the uh, CISNET, the cancer, uh, cancer Network, showed that using this newer screening criteria would actually reduce cancer mortality by 13,000 deaths and uh, would reduce the, uh, and avert another 500 uh, lung cancer deaths per 100,000 uh, individuals. So some interesting uh, findings that they, that they uh, had there. Okay, so that's the benefits. Um, what about the harms of this more aggressive screening problem? Yeah, well, this is certainly what I like about the Preventive Services Task Force because it wouldn't be a U.S. Preventive Services Review if they also didn't consider those harms. And they actually found harms, obviously. These included false positive results, which would lead to unnecessary tests, invasive procedures, obviously overdiagnosis and worry, potential for some radiation-induced cancers, other incidental findings, uh, increased risk of uh, anxiety and stress. So, for example, the uh, NLST uh, trial reported false positive rates at baseline, which meant the first time somebody underwent screen of 26%. The Nelson uh, trial had uh, the, uh, uh, theirs was, uh, where did I uh, have that here somewhere? Oh, false positive rates About 20 of 20%, yeah. 20% at baseline. And by the way, these are consistent with what's been seen out there in the literature. There was a VA study which uh, showed a false positive rate of 28.9%. Uh, now, part of what they did, though, as they looked at this, they realized that there's been um, a lot more um, experience, though, with this imaging. And the American College of Radiology has come up with more standardized uh, criteria for reporting and managing uh, findings as part of the lung RAS uh, uh, program. And they actually looked at this, and they said if you had used lung RAS criteria in the NLST study, they found that false positive rate would have dropped to 12.8%, right? And that wow. if they had used it in the Nelson trial, it would have uh, dropped uh, to, uh, uh, or that was a, a, sim a similar amount. So originally the, the, the uh, NLST study, right, was 26% false positive. If they had used the lung rad study, it would have dropped it to about 12.8. Now, of course, all these studies have been done at academic medical centers with uh, specialized equipment, highly trained uh, radiologists interpreting the, the findings. Well, um, I think you've, you, you've raised some really good points and you've certainly shown my skepticism about this testing may be, may be misplaced. Um, doing lung cancer screening is not a foregone conclusion. It requires us to do patient-centered shared decision-making. And knowing this new data that the false positive rate will likely be reduced um, and expanding 
the uh, age range for whom we test will actually save about you know 500 lives per 100,000 people screened um, is really reassuring. So I think I'm going to I'm going to suggest that uh, should the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force ultimately endorse this, I might uh, I might be a little less pessimistic when I counsel my patients about getting this done. What about you? Well, I want to come back to our case that you presented, Michael, 61-year-old with a significant uh, smoking history, because you know the guidelines that they had released. He did he does fall into the current guidelines here, and I think about the screening. I think this whole I absolutely you're right shared decision making, and so it's really important. But part of this is in my mind, right? The higher risk person is the person who's been smoking longer, uh, who has a significant pack year. Uh, history. And so uh, Michael here, it looked like uh, he had well over a 30-pack year history. He was 61. It wasn't like he was 50 and we're trying to look at some. Because the higher the, the amount of smoking exposure and the older you are, the higher risk you, you are. And so a little bit of that, I kind of factor that in uh, to have that discussion with the patient. Of course, letting him know. And, and obviously, I practice in an academic medical center. So, uh, you know, they're using the lung rads uh, criteria and so on. And so uh, but we're still going to have that false positive. And, you know, like many of these things, patients end up saying back to you, well, what would you do, doc? You know, I hate it when they say that. <laughs> I come back. So, well, it's really <laughs> your decision, but you do. But in this case, Michael, you do kind of fall into a high risk uh, situation. So this is probably something that you should really be thinking about. Thank you, Bob. I learned a great deal from this. All right, Frank, you take care now. Practice pointer. Counsel all smokers on smoking cessation. Identify those smokers age 55 to 80 who have a 30-pack year smoking history who are currently smoking or have quit within the last 15 years. Engage them in a shared decision-making process about the benefits and harms of undergoing low-dose CT screening and look for possibly an expansion of these guidelines sometime within the next six months. Join us next time when we talk about the new guidelines on screening for cervical cancer and how it will change your approach to patients' care. Thank you for listening to Frankly Speaking About Family Medicine, brought to you by PrimeMed. To claim credit and receive additional information about the article referenced in today's episode, visit primemed.com slash podcast and see you next week.